2: Woo! Welcome to the show. Blimey, what a lot we have to talk about today. The continued implosion of Twitter in real time. Horrifying, gripping, disturbing. Lots of ways of describing what's happened in the two weeks or so since Elon Musk took over Twitter. Now, I think and I did a previous video on this. I think many of us did not have particularly high expectations to say the least, but I think the sheer scale of what can only be described generously as a total clusterfuck. I'm not sure many of us quite appreciated. There are big question marks about whether or not Twitter will exist. We know that because those questions have been raised by its actual owner, Elon Musk. Who, of course, has raised the prospect of bankruptcy. We've seen, of course, mass flight of advertisers, mass sackings, mass resignations. Uh, we've seen the the the, the attempted rollout of Twitter Blue, which has been pulled. Um, the whole thing clearly beyond. I think beyond, beyond the, 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 the English language is of course immense, but what words to describe exactly what has happened? It's it's a tough one. What we're going to do today is there we go. We have a little cartoon of, uh, of the uh, of the Twitter um, the Twitter bird uh, sitting surrounded by fire, saying this is fine. For those listening to the podcast, I'm sure you're familiar with that particular meme. Um, what we're going to do is talk to two brilliant experts today. I want to hear about the inside story. What's actually happening at Twitter? And where is this likely to lead? Is Twitter basically finished? I mean, I know the the title of this show suggests I've, I've come up with a quite definitive conclusion, but we don't know. We don't know what will happen day to day at the moment on Twitter. It really is a roller coaster, so do do hold on tight. Um, before I bring in our first brilliant guest, uh, We have um, later, I should say, Bruce Daisley, who's a former vice president um, of Twitter here in the UK. Um, If you're watching live, do click through to the YouTube link, press like and subscribe. Um, You can, of course, listen to us on the podcast. Do if that's what you prefer, and um, support us on patreon.com forward slash homiejoes84, but also use Super Chats. You can put questions to the guests, and I will thank everybody at the end, including the people I forgot to thank last time, which I will do at the end of the show because I'm a very, very bad person, Um, and that helps keep the show on the road. Okay, let's bring in Mike Isaac from the New York Times, who has been um, doing... Huge amounts of sterling work on what's been happening behind the scenes. There's a piece uh, about the weeks of chaos, two weeks of chaos inside Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. Mike, I had to say, you co-wrote this with some of the brilliant journalists uh, based on conversations with lots of Twitter employees. It was, I said this to you before we came live. It, I mean, it was a brilliant piece, but quite disturbing, actually. I found the yeah. whole thing quite horrifying. Details like... A manager of engineers told to fire a huge number, given a list, and just vomits in a nearby trash can. I mean, it's it's gruesome, isn't it? I mean, just on a human level, this is actually not actually that funny, is it? No, I mean,
1: I, I think you're totally right. I think from the outside mm-hmm. and for us watching on Twitter, for people like you and me who are sort of on this for a living a lot of the time, um, it can be... You know absurdist and and crazy and funny and whatever but i mean there are people inside who have been at this company some of them like 10 years there in most of their tech career or have come there like with a real you know silicon valley idea of like changing the world and giving a voice to people and you know musk and his advisors come in and are just super dispassionate about we need to get this company in financial shape. And, and to be fair to Musk, like the business is not great and they probably did need to do some layoffs as a lot of companies in Silicon Valley are doing right now. But his approach was rather than, um, you know, study the business, uh, rather than do any due diligence, by the way, before he bought this company for tens of billions of dollars. And rather than come in and study the business, he came in with a, a broadsword and basically cut it in half. And And I think... Uh, No one at Twitter thought it was going to be this bad. At first, they were thinking maybe 25% cuts, which even seemed like a lot. But cutting it in half
2: means um, they're struggling to keep the lights on in a lot of ways now. So we'll talk about some of those details specifically. Before we do, Just, I'm interested in your thoughts. Is this some sort of joke? which basically span out of control. This Was this Elon Musk trying to own the libs? Because obviously what he did is he came up with this proposal to buy Twitter and then he claimed there were lots of bots and so on, which yeah. was an attempt to backtrack. And then Twitter forced him, basically, he was sued in order to do so. I mean, we've got this tweet here from Jack, who everyone knows, of course, is the... Twitter founder. In principle, I don't believe anyone should own or run Twitter. It wants to be a public good at a protocol level, not a company. Solving for the problem of it being a company, however, Elon is the singular solution I trust. Mm. I trust his mission to extend the light of consciousness. They, mm. Mm, they, yeah, it sounds he sounds like a, you know, a new age hippie there. He's but he's actually just handed uh, the company to a unhinged right wing spoiled brat megalomaniac. So, but I mean, what, what just explain, do you think it was basically a joke that spiraled out of control and what was Jack, for example, thinking?
1: Yeah. So, no, these are great questions. So, so a few things. One, I think Jack, Jack is a fascinating character on his own, probably worth uh, at least a profile or two in these coming weeks as like things fall out. Um, I think Jack so twitter has been a dysfunctional company for a very long time they've fired multiple ceos they've gone back and forth through board members they've tried to like get this thing in shape because it's been you know zuckerberg years ago described it as a clown car crashing into a gold mine basically and that that essentially means that the management has not been great but the product for all its faults still works and people uh, people love it people are glued to it a lot of times So a small fraction of people are really obsessed with it and so uh jack you know came back a few years ago tried to get a wrangle on it didn't wasn't able to like grow it the, the way that everyone wanted to and so and jack has long admired elon as many in the valley do elon is like you know, or whatever you think of him, he is considered like the heir to Steve Jobs in as much as a, an inspirational tech figure and an aspirational type figure for a lot of young, you know, engineers who want someone to look up to, basically. And um, pre Elon's obsession with Twitter, I think it was easier for them to sort of make them make him into this heroic figure because they didn't always have access to his every thought they just saw him building rockets and saving the world with cars and stuff i think for elon over the past few years he does love using twitter uh and it can also get him into a lot of trouble we saw him with the, the whole stock thing around tesla um taking it private with a uh, which was essentially another weed joke 420 joke and um So, but I do think at one point he made this offer, 5420 a share to buy Twitter, uh, you know, nine months ago or so when the global financial markets were in a very different shape. That was before interest rates started rising, before, you know, uh, before uh, basically loans to buy things were getting astronomically high and before the markets started tanking and hitting all of his shares. And so by the time that, Twitter had accepted his deal or said they would accept it. Uh, Everything was going downhill and he wanted to pull out. And maybe he was like, this is maybe not such a good idea. But to your point, he got sued, forced to buy the company. And now he's making the best of what is probably the worst case scenario financially for him. But still, him taking anything super seriously doesn't seem like it's in his character. It's all kind of a cosmic joke to him a lot of the time.
2: I mean, a lot of people in Britain have been calling this Twitter's Liz Truss era, and I'm not sure how familiar (laughs) you are with the... I remember that she was a very short-tenured PM, that's right. 44 days, actually. (laughs) I suppose the point people were making there is not just the general chaos. um, And actually, I should point out, the United Kingdom did survive Liz Truss, sort of. Uh, I'm not sure Twitter's (laughs) going to survive Elon Musk. Um, But it was actually more that, you know, Liz, Liz Truss bought into kind of, you know, right-wing libertarian ideas which then just went bam collided with reality and Mm. i'm just wondering with elon Musk, part of the comparison is he he has these dogmas and perspectives which have just collided hard and fast with the actual realities of running twitter no i think that's totally fair i think he you know he's been
1: there it's actually a line of silicon valley thought that's more prevalent than folks think um that is more it's there's libertarianism which i think has existed here for a while but then more right-wing and conservatism conservatism that folks uh don't express as much and i think people mostly think oh techies a bunch of liberals out in san francisco whereas which is where i am and and um you know of course they're lefties or whatever and it's it's not really the case as much anymore honestly i think um san francisco has changed there's ultra concentrated wealth here obviously elon is a billionaire and like their feelings on uh police and crime and um uh fiscal fiscal sort of uh behavior responsibility or the role of governments like that stuff is uh is leaning less Mm -hmm. um less more in the direction of of conservatism than i would say in the past and it's been Uh, So Elon basically is crashing into this thing where he's bringing those ideas that have been formed by him and a lot of his peers. But also, you know, I was talking to a few sources as he was trying to buy it, and they were basically saying his ideas on speech are just not nuanced in the sense that like he wanted to bring up, do it in broad strokes, like flatten everything, only um, uh, all speech goes unless it's a crime, basically. And even that is just a little too wide angle. Like, as soon as he took it over, you saw um, uh, folks in the uh, European Commission sort of tweeting, like, hey, you're not going to break laws here, or just so you know, like, yeah. you still have to yeah. abide by what's going on. So I think he is crashing into the realities of running a global social platform that operates in many different countries with many different laws that are far different from just the US. And you have to just policy is nuanced and it takes a long time to get your head around it and and when you fire all the people who were working on that you're already kind of harming yourself to begin with
2: can you explain the the kind of sackings that have taken place and the impact that has because i suppose you know you're right there have been there's a gen we've seen for example meta have done a, a, a huge number of obviously not the same proportion um but there's a general there's a there's a there's an issue in the tech sector at the moment there's no question Mm -hmm. but in terms of the scale of the sackings because he actually reportedly then had to go back to try and get some of them to return didn't he because so what what does it mean at the moment what do you think it means for the functionality of 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 the app i was going to i'll come on to security and maybe your thoughts on what that means afterwards but what in terms of functionality is it is it just going to start falling to pieces basically we are so yeah that we are already starting to see some
1: cracks. I keep getting reports from folks who are saying, "Hey, my notifications aren't working anymore," or like the number is not popping up. The the very next day, uh, for me, and I got reports from just some sources a- across the valley, um, after the layoffs and people started leaving. Um, There's a little, sometimes like a a, a module called suggested for you that happens in the feed. Basically, they sort of like insert random videos across Twitter that their algorithms think you might like. Um, This is a common practice with TikTok and now uh, Instagram reels uh, these days. And so Twitter has been doing it. And uh, for many people, they've just started getting porn videos suggested for them, like just hardcore porn in their feed. And it's not like they follow a lot of pornographic accounts
2: or no, anything no that's not what's
1: happened <laughs> absolutely not can we just clarify that's not what's happened that i didn't need to go back and check and check to see that, just, they follow. that is, it's just really weird it just happened it must be the bugs caused by them it's like all the like u.s this. senators who oh i don't know who liked that that tweet <laughs> uh <laughs> but no but I, I think little things like that because there are people who or the let's say the trends uh in the united states like what um uh, what was trending or, or, or like there are teams that curate the news stories that are like topical in the U S and then place them in this um, discover tab, like just stuff like that. There are people that that man those and they're not there anymore, you know? So the systems are kind of going awry. And to your point, they were like, okay, we probably cut too deep into muscle and there's folks on the revenue team that we need to bring back or we are screwed, you know? So they did start desperately bringing folks back, but we also sort of published some details on managers who are like, who said internally, very stupidly, um, you know, these people were weak and lazy, so we're only bringing them back to get things back on track, and then we're going to fire them basically right after, which is just super messed up, especially in this economic environment.
2: <laughs> well, it's just horrific. Um- yeah. So we've seen this, this memo from a lawyer, um, which was, this is from The Verge. Um, I've got this here. Um, Elon has shown that his only priority with Twitter users is how to monetize them. Mm. Um, so a couple of things I'm interested in is, is what he's talking, I mean, in terms of actually risking the security of users, what, what do we mean by that? And there's also the issue of the Federal Trade Commission, which has the ability to fine Twitter billions of pounds worth of money uh, dollars, even, from <laughs> currency. Either way. Um, sorry, you've, you've been independent for quite a while now, I should realise. <laughs> um, so in terms of, um, but Elon Musk's right-hand man, the lawyer, what's his name? The lawyer guy.
1: Oh, uh, Spiro, Alex Spiro.
2: Yeah, so he said, well, you know, Elon Musk fires rockets into space. He doesn't care about the Federal Trade Commission. Doesn't strip the Federal Trade Commission of its abilities to find Twitter anyway. So what do we, just I'm interested in kind of security yep. and also kind of legality issues. Yep. No, no, hundred percent.
1: I think, um, so after these three top sort of like privacy information security officer, um, uh, data security folks left and quit in a blaze of glory, basically at least one of them posted this internal memo that you posted. Um, and they basically told people, look, if you are asked to do anything illegal, you need to get out and also posted a whistleblower, a link to a whistleblower site, um, that folks at, at Facebook have used in the past too, and basically it's just like if you're if you see bad or illegal activity going on, you need to go to these people and get protections for yourself because because you don't want to get wrapped up in an indict, indictment. Basically, you know, and the FTC, the SEC have been kind of circling this for a while, um, particularly because Elon um, in the beginning when he started buying up large portions of twitter in the background twitter stock uh back in like january there are laws that basically ha- have you disclose when you reach a certain threshold of stock that he failed to do at the time and that may have bit broken the law and so there are, uh, so i believe the sec is sort of circling that and trying to figure out what happened but look i think when your top three lawyers on a particular um topic especially complying with the FTC are worried enough to leave and um, and are working under Spiro the um, his top lawyer who has basically taken over the legal department I think that's a really dangerous sign you know I think like what does that mean about how they look at data security or how they look at compliance in international sort of law and or just compliance in the United States their home country um, it, it's, that's when folks um, were telling me, look, this is a big deal. People don't get it, the fact that the lawyers are quitting. And lawyers are the most conservative folks. They don't really talk to outsiders a lot. And they they just are very, um, very, hew very closely to the law most of the time as they're paid to do. So I just think it's a, it's a worrisome thing. I also think there are questions just to your point about security, questions about direct messages, private messages, like how people, fe- how people feel about the safety of those. And what I've been advised, I don't know what management is doing or if they're reading them or anything, but every one of my sources inside are super paranoid about their DMS and are basically saying, don't have sensitive conversations on dms at this point like move them off to i don't know if you know signal is like a secure messaging app or iMessage which is also encrypted or, or different messaging apps but basically that's i mean that's worrisome i don't know what's what's going to happen or what is happening but the fact that they're telling us to move off is something to think about
2: and obviously yeah uh, newspapers and media organizations which approach twitter for comment can't because twitter as the <laughs> Verge pointed out. The Verge reached out to Musk for comment. Twitter no longer has a communications department. Astonishing stuff. we we'll to talk to you about the Twitter blue debacle. Yep. So originally, so Elon Musk declared, Twitter's current lords and peasant system for who has or doesn't have a blue check mark is bullshit. Power to the people, blue for $8 um, a month. Now, the verification system, you can argue, like, you know, why does why some people verified and some aren't? There's a question there in terms of some sure. don't deserve it. Obviously, sure. there was a long hit. You know, for a while there was like Nazis, yeah, <laughs> um, right. um, verified. They're now verified again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're now getting. I mean, yeah. I mean, for example, <laughs> just as an example, Jason Kessler, a prominent American neo-Nazi, now has a blue tick. Anyway, mm-hmm. but what I'm saying in the old system, you could, there was obviously inevitably some people shouldn't be verified and some people mm-hmm. should be verified who aren't. And there was all the, uh, the resentment tactic, you know, all the blue tick kind of aristocracy of Twitter and all the rest of it. Yeah. But obviously it served a purpose, as in, you know, notable figures, or you know these figures are who they say they are, you know these media organisations are, they say they are. And obviously if anyone can buy a blue tick, then, I mean, it's tapping into the prestige of the old system, but but, uh, but abolishes it by doing so and therefore renders it obviously meaningless. But I just interested how you think, because we'll first talk about the commercial impact I mean, we've seen lots of, you know, Bush and Blair. This is George W. Bush. I, I'm yeah. just killing Iraqis. Tony Blair, same, to be honest, quote <laughs> three thing. Jesus. Uh, Lockheed Martin, we will begin halting all weapons sales to Saudi Arabia, Israel, and the United States until further investigation to their records of human rights abuses. Um and uh, you've got a bit blurry, by the way, Mike. Yeah, out. I know. Sorry, this camera is like focusing. Let's see if I can. Oh, oh sorry, carried. you're back. All right, I'm all back. <laughs> um, and of course, Eli Lilly. Um, which a, ver- a verified version said insulin is now free, which it should be. But anyway, it that cost Eli Lilly billions. So I mean, so just talk about the, the 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 impersonation of businesses. It's literally had actually quite a big commercial impact. Oh my God. It was totally a nightmare. So
1: I totally agree with you. Twitter verification system has long been imperfect, right? There has seemingly been no rubric uh, for a long time. It was literally like, do you know someone on the verified team then I can kind of get you in backdoor or whatever. Right. And, and like, and some, some folks were easier to get verified than not. Like obviously let's say LeBron James is like a, a world famous figure and probably should have a verification tick on there or um, Paul Krugman, uh, columnist in the New York times or, or, you know, Rupert Murdoch or something like just like people who, are big and influential and whose words matter and can move markets sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. or, uh, or, you know, like companies, like even let's say Eli Lilly, if they, if they verifiedly said we are not charging for insulin anymore, that would definitely change a lot of things. And so I think the problem really is a a way of how people viewed uh, verification and what it meant for people like you and me. I think it is a utility. I think it really was useful to know who was saying what and if it was them and and what that means for discourse or the stock market or policy. I think for Elon and a, a certain subset of, uh, of people who are sort of in that headspace, it really was about prestige, you know, and like this sort of two-tiered system of <clears throat> whatever that means to folks. Like, oh, you have a blue tick. Uh, this means you're better than me. This means mm-hmm. you're, you know, like you're somewhat smarter and I don't have one. So my opinion matters less. And I don't think I appreciated that particularly because I I've had one since I joined the times, you know, like eight, eight or nine years ago, but, but um, it really is like a level of resentment that I wasn't familiar with. And, and so his solution with that was basically, it was twofold. One, I think it like fixed the sort of two tier in his mind, fixed the two tier prestige system Two if you pay $8, you're not a bot, right? You're probably not a bot because it's a level, a barrier to entry rather than like any fake robot can sign up and create a bunch of free accounts and start tweeting. And so he was like, great. Anyone's going to have a blue check, no bots. Um, this solve some of my problems. Now <laughs> he created more problems for himself because for, for, for all its faults, the blue check system still was helpful to marketers, advertisers, brands, and companies who need to have a presence on Twitter and communicate with people. Mm-hmm. And when you start throwing wrenches into those gears and, you know, can create, can spin up for $8, create a fake George Bush or create a fake multinational drug company that says it's its marquee product is free. Like that's immediate chaos. And because of that, to Uh, Elon is now bleeding advertiser money. And some of the biggest companies, I think Omnicom yesterday said they're pausing or they're advising their clients, who has huge clients, to stop spending ad dollars on Twitter. Um, And they're all pausing to see if things sort of get better. But that's a nightmare. And so... And Twitter is an ad-based platform. And they go after these big accounts. So basically, he's chasing pennies while dollars are flying out of his bank account. At this
2: point. Yeah, I mean, I'll ask just a, a bit more about the advertising, but on the subscribers issue. So it's been yeah. uh, reported here. So 61,000 paying subscribers. That is not a no, – that is not a, I mean, especially if, as we bear in mind, uh, that – quite a number of those are um, quite a number of those are uh, impersonating i mean the, the number of people who've you know i, I mean i mean maybe half of those, i don't know there's been so many it's um don't we, totally. mike my, my cameras, my camera's just kind of it makes you look kind of like an art piece i like it i appreciate it <laughs> sorry about that um we can hear you we can still hear you very well that's what that's what really matters yeah that is a very dis... i mean they've paused it now they've people can't buy twitter blue even if they want to but 61000 Uh, is is really weak, surely.
1: No, I think it's... um, I think the... We were, like, sort of trying to figure out what the actual numbers are internally because it it seems to be moving around a lot. Sorry, I'll try to fix the camera in a minute. But um, I, I think the... Uh, to your point, like this is $61,008 a, a subscription. That's like nothing in terms of revenue. Like they were doing, you know, close to 800 to a billion dollars a year. I want to say a year in revenue, which even for tech companies is not a lot. Like they're at the lower end compared to, let's say, Facebook or Google, which were printing money. Um, but like, it's just like if he thinks he can amp up subscribers to the point where it can replace ad revenue. And he wants to decrease the amount of ads in the feed, which he has said, mm-hmm. if you are a subscriber, that's that's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time as he already owes a billion dollars a year in interest alone to the banks that he has secured loans for. The other part too is that you erode your advertising business further because those subscribed people or the people with blue checks are the most important people on the service that advertisers want to reach. So if you're delivering them less ad- fewer ads, you're, you're essentially telling your advertisers, we're, we're not giving you the people you want to talk to or
2: see the most basically on the platform. So in terms of the advertisers, I mean, we're talking about, as you said, a mass exodus mm-hmm. of advertisers. That's, I mean, Elon Musk raised the prospect of bankruptcy. I mean, do you think that's, you know, in terms of what what's happened in terms of, you know, en masse, as you said, companies pulling from Twitter, yeah. what do you think about that? What do you think about the, the actual potential risk of there just being such a financial black hole that the whole company just goes under?
1: I think even he is shocked at how quickly money has left the door, um, has gone out the door. I think the... um the amount of ad dollars, I'm still trying to chase the exact figure, but the amount of ad dollars and advertisers who have left in just a short amount of time is staggering. Mm. Uh, And the, uh, and by the way, he fired um, the top three executives who are responsible for handling advertising on Madison Avenue in the United States. And that means, and ad business is all about relationships and who you know. And, um, and to to just to to the, the to put, a, put a finer point on it Twitter ads are not that great compared to Facebook ads or Google no. ads where they can track you down to the yeah. to the yeah. l- finest grain particularly because they take in so much data about you Twitter ads take in far less information about you which yeah. is probably good for you or me because we don't necessarily love being tracked all the time but it also means advertisers rely on it less because they get, um, they aren't able to prove their return on their investment as easily. So for them, turning off Twitter ads and going to TikTok or Pinterest or whatever, some other platform is not a big deal compared to the amount of money they spend on Facebook or, or, or YouTube or something. Oh, there, I'm back.
2: Oh, you're back. Yeah, so I was <laughs> going to say, John, John Mandelson was saying, turn the focus ring without obstructing it like this and you can adjust it live. You. You I got to get sound. a new camera. This I hate technology. <laughs> the thing is, is Mike's camera drunk? it needs glasses, <laughs> put, put you your put glasses it if you just put your glasses on the camera if you just purchase them just a, just a couple of final other things so ftx this is this big cryptocurrency which has gone boom. oh my god that's the other huge story right now it, and and that's it, it turned out i've forgotten the name of the guy what's his name the guy about- uh sam bankman fried they people call him sbf sbf yeah there yeah. we go um it sounds like a, sounds like a bit like IBS or something but ibs i mean never mind his choice <laughs> Um, anyway, he's he's lost his fortune. Oops, what um, just he he was actually uh, trying to apparently throw money into Elon Musk's deal. So, just to, can you explain just a little yeah. briefly about that? Totally.
1: Um, and thanks for that question down there about the Elon and the senator going at it. Oh, yeah, can you um, ask,
2: this? Is David Barrata with Elon Musk and Senator Ed Markey going at it yesterday and today? What are the chances of Congress getting involved?
1: Yeah, totally. I think it's. I mean, he's basically Elon. This is the other thing. He likes taunting senators. He he loves fighting with Bernie Sanders, who's famously a socialist and a senator over here, and he can't help himself when he gets into these fights. So um, I believe the Washington Post f- created a fake account of one of the U.S. senators, Ed Markey, and paid eight bucks, and they impersonated him and were doing all sorts of like funny or you know funny stuff online, and. Marky got a hold of that and was like, what the hell is going on? So sent a letter to Elon. I think, I mean, part of this, the part of the problem is like the spectacle around all the stuff going wrong is drawing more people to troll the platform. So like, Mm -hmm. maybe it burns out over time because I do think people are trying to just mess with the system. But it's not good when Congress is immediately getting involved after you make huge changes to this. And just quickly to the FTX point. So Sam Bankman-Fried, this young billionaire, 30 years old, um, says he's going to give away all his money. Everyone loves him for a long period of time, especially in the media. And um, goes basically has to declare bankruptcy and his company worth like upwards of $30 billion, worth upwards of $30 billion by venture capitalists, because of a series of financial maneuvering that may put him in actual legal risk. Mm. And so, you know, months earlier this year, back when he was sitting high on the hog, um, he, when Elon was trying to raise money from outside investors to the platform, Sam Bankman-Fried reached out to him, was really desperate to invest. And Elon joined a Twitter space on Friday to talk about that. And I was luckily in the Twitter space. And he was saying, You know, my my bullshit radar went off, basically, when I heard this guy talking to me like something was off. And like I ended up turning down the three billion dollars that he was pledging. And it was probably a good move because that three billion is now vaporized and and worthless, basically, at this point.
2: Mike, really, really, really appreciate all your wisdom and thoughts. That was really, really insightful stuff. Gruesome, as I said, I really do recommend people read, by the way uh the piece if people i think you might have to have can you if you do you need a sub- I think um, there was a free
1: article actually there was like a gift they people um uh were telling me that was made free on the site i think sometimes they they make big articles free to to get people to
2: subscribe so you could probably go read it um brilliant there. well it's yeah. inside Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter it's a really gripping and and gruesome read if i'm honest with you i found <laughs> i found it afterwards i had to just have a little walk <laughs> right on well that's um, how i that's how I hope all my pieces
1: make Yeah, better. of course. Yeah, I mean
2: that's just that's just any piece. That's just <laughs> just casually just throwing them off across the world people just <laughs> emotionally involved. Um but honestly Mike, uh, really fascinating stuff and do follow Mike Isaac on t- what was your Twitter handle again? So I should say. uh, it's just yeah, Mike Isaac, um ISAAC. Uh do follow as and I'm sure you can continue to watch the destruction of Twitter in in real time on, on the Twitter account until Twitter. your Twitter account goes under that's right <laughs> um, All right, Mike. Thanks so much, buddy. Thanks so much. Take Thank care, and thanks uh, so take care. Thanks for having me. Great stuff there. Uh from Mike. Very, very insightful. I'm now going to bring in just straight away, actually, Bruce Daisley. Boo. You didn't expect me there, did you, to suddenly just drag you in. Oh, Bruce, I can't hear you. You're muted. Oh, hold on. Unmute. Can we unmute?
0: For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Borough purchase at borough.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at borough.com slash ACAST.
2: Your mic isn't connected. Hold on. He will be. I'll just keep talking. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Okay. Be- okay. Yes. Very, very crisp voice. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Very, very well. It's great to have you, by the way. I'm just going to quickly, because this is very important. Bruce actually has a book out at the moment called Fortitude: Unlocking the Secrets of Inner Strength, which I'll ask you about um, at the end of the interview as well, because it sounds like a really, really fascinating book. Um, Bruce Daisley is the former, is a former vice president at Twitter. So he, how long did you work at Twitter for? Eight years, actually. So I joined
0: right in sort of 2012. You know, a lot of people's early Twitter mm-hmm. moment was. Uh, either the london riots in 2011 I remember that. uh and then a lot of people had a, a twitter moment in 2012 when the olympics happened and twitter's quite good when the sort of a big collective moment the biggest challenge twitter always had was getting new people to sign up because it's compared to a lot of other apps it doesn't
2: make life easy for you when you first sign up mm-hmm. before i ask so, you about um, what, what what what's happened and also just about twitter generally um just on a human level, I'm just interested actually in your thoughts because you work there, you put in a huge amount of your life, your time, your your effort, you lived and breathed Twitter, I suppose. <coughs> Lots of us live and breathe Twitter, probably too much, I would say. But I mean you lived and breathed it as, you know, someone who 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 that was your life, your career. Just on a human level, what what are you thinking? What are you feeling at the moment? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, it it's um Even when you're there, when you work at a big
0: technology company like that, often, you know, I'd gone to work at Twitter because I loved it as a product. And at the time, it was like this frivolous place that, you know, at the time, Kathleen Moran was saying it's transformed comedy because women's voices are being heard at the time. You know, people, John Prescott was saying, I can have a horrible article about myself in the news mail on Sunday and I can... I can counter it. I can get something to come out. Or, you know, Jonathan Ross was tweeting Stephen Fry. It was this frivolous place. And, you know, the learning about all technology products is that um, initially we find ourselves filled with the optimism of how this can create something special. And look, you know, it's still now the reason why everyone knows Greta Thunberg's name is social media. Whichever flavor of social media, but social media has made celebrities and names of people who otherwise would be denied a platform so um but i recognize that twitter's got a really conflicted aspect to it you know even when i work there one of the the interesting things you work at a company like that technology company like that and the um the head office in san francisco quite often they will make really bad decisions i remember really keenly (laughs) knowing that Abuse was tolerated for years, you know, like uh, I'd wake up one day and there was a female, female Labour MP, prominent Labour MP getting horrible abuse. Uh, I think, you know, uh, repeated episodes. One MP had a series of 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 not rape threats. Uh, So what that means is that hundreds of people were sending tweets to that person saying they wouldn't rape her. Um, And it's like and at the time what would happen was you're working at this big technology company, you're sort of filled with optimism about what these products can achieve. Mm -hmm. And the company would say, well, it's not against our rules. And so it's really interesting. So there's always been this strange, you know, my relationship when I was there was, okay, we've got to try and reform this. We've got to try and change it. We've got to sort of keep pushing. I, I feel deeply sad. I'm, I'm really hoping that someone can, create a um an alternative you know a, a, a something that represents the good of the product without necessarily sort of you know it, without losing the network effect any social product needs a network effect there's no as the alt-right of learn in the us it's very easy to set up a product um that is just just has one side of the discourse and it doesn't doesn't it's not very satisfying it doesn't really build any audience and so the critical thing is sort of understanding how we can um how you can sort of get that network effect but you know without
2: the toxicity really I, i was always interested because there was always this claim that social media has created echo chambers but the research actually suggested quite the opposite in that actually traditionally speaking before the age of the internet people would often select friends who often had values and Worldviews, which often coincided with their own, um, it wasn't like people were going around actively trying to find people who strongly disagree with them to interact with them. And actually, social media did has enabled people to communicate with people they strongly disagree with. They often don't like that fact. I think it should be said. I think that's another issue. But that's true, isn't it? It hasn't really created an echo chamber.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I think most of us find ourselves following whether it's an Andrew Neil or whether it's, you know, spectator just to get a perspective of what other people are saying. A lot of us find ourselves at least, you know, taking a look at what other people are doing. The really interesting thing is that 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 echo chamber is you find that um, people are very happy to say that other people need to be shaken out of their own echo chamber, Mm. but they don't want to be shaken out of their own. One of the least popular features we ever introduced was something which tried to say, you know, if Mm. if there was people tweeting about something or that, that uh, we'd introduce tweets into the timeline. Here's what other people are saying, or here's what other, and people got furious about it. Everyone likes the idea idea that the rest of the world jones up my twitter feed i hate him yeah exactly that everyone (laughs) has this idea that everyone else needs to be shaken out of their echo chamber but they themselves are pretty happy with the things that they're seeing and so it's this really interesting thing that you know sometimes we misdiagnose these things or we presume that we don't have a problem everyone else
2: is the problem Mm. Um. In terms of, um, before we just talk about Elon Musk and so on as well, I mean, in terms of abuse, I always thought it was interesting how, obviously, Twitter, you, you noted, failed to deal with abuse and of, often consistently failed to deal with horrific racism, homophobia, transphobia, could go on, really. Um, but I always thought it was interesting it was blamed for polarisation when I sort of reflected it. I mean, I, I remember this really first came up, I think, during the Scottish independence referendum, um, where you got a... What we know, referendum. As we've now established, are quite divisive uh, and divide families, communities, and all the rest of it with a binary question. That's what that's what happens. Um, and you know, there was all this talk about cybernats. That was, the, you know, the, these were basically, I suppose, those terms as zealous supporters of Scottish yeah. independence. But but actually, what I think was more accurate is is Twitter has ref- reflected polarizations caused by you know, the financial crash or 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 the decl- the stagnating living standards. And it maybe it's amplified them. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, you, you're completely right. And and I
0: think what we learned around that time is that there were outside forces that were, were seeking to amplify some of these things. So, you know, specifically I think there was the Scottish referendum, then there was the Brexit, um a vote, and then there was the twenty sixteen Trump election, and and all those things came relatively quickly after each other that, and had the impact of of uh, not only capturing a sort of polarized debate where um you know a conversation that was optimized for anger seemed to perform better on the on with with the platform, but also there were outside groups seeking to. Subvert it a bit, seeking to you know enhance one side of the argument or just um stoke division. And that's you know one of the alarming things about Elon Musk's experience. Elon Musk seems very intent on almost resetting the clock and learning everything that we've learned about social media over the last 15 years. He needs to learn it firsthand, otherwise he's not going to apply it. And so you know, all of this stuff about him saying no parody allowed that you were talking about before, um, or now, you, <laughs> now you've got to include parody in your name. He's he's learning firsthand all of the things that content moderators have had to learn over the, the last 15 years. Look, you know, I think um, social media most definitely seems to agitate division. And, and look, you know, in truth, from the inside, it's very difficult to know quite how to... Um, get that out of the system. It just sort of comes with the territory to some extent.
2: Let me do a devil's advocate for Elon Musk. Very successful on a tech entrepreneur. He's created these big, very successful companies like Tesla. And, you know, we should bow down to his genius. Maybe he knows what he's doing. Maybe, you know, it looks like chaos, but this guy has built up these big things and they've thrived and all the rest of it. Could it not be actually these, you know, you and I, even though you worked there and you know Twitter inside out, maybe maybe we're going to have egg in our faces and it'll be, you know, this will end well. Yeah, the, the 4-D chess argument. I mean, you know, Elon bought Tesla. But um, the
0: one of the things that, you know, we, we often do, don't we? We project onto billionaires this notion that they know what they're doing, even though all of the evidence in front of our eyes. But Elon Musk's fortune since he did this bid for Twitter, Elon Musk's value, net value has gone down somewhere in the region of $100 billion. You know, some people say that Twitter might yet be the business decision that makes him a millionaire. And uh, and, you know, we we find ourselves in a situation, but we willingly project onto these 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 Marvel superhero characters, this notion that they've got a plan and this is all going out. Elon Musk um, probably paid somewhere in the region of five times the value for Twitter. And look, you know, I think that's largely as Mike Isaac said before, um, that's largely because he. Um, he, he was hit by market conditions, whatever. But I think the idea that somehow he's got a master plan. Witness the fact that you know everyone he's met inside the organisation. He's, he's not articulated anything to them. It took him 13 days. I spent my time sort of helping companies with workplace culture, and it, it took him 13 days um, to even speak to the team. Now, look, you know, rule number one is even if you're going to do a, a mayor culpa or a, uh, a warts and all, or you're just going to say, the answer is we don't know, um, then to, <laughs> to take 13 days to talk to a team is such an act of weakness, actually. Mm, it's such yeah. an act of, of insecurity. Mm. That I think the idea that somehow he's got a master plan, he's going to make it work. Now that's not to say Twitter didn't need fixing. You know, we we all recognize. I, I think it's, you know all of us who use Instagram, all of us who use TikTok will recognize for all the bad of, of either of those platforms. We'll recognize TikTok uh, has pretty much a a no abuse policy you know if you often see people returning on tiktok saying i've just had a week's ban sorry i couldn't post right. you know often you see that they've got a very firm line they put the line in the sand what you find with that is when you've got a firm line people
2: are often far more cautious about going over it Instagram it it's just a kind kind of place and it, you know yeah, I mean, Instagram those, is, yeah. but it's my happy place where people are just very sweet and then i go on twitter it's like die you effing gay Lots of homophobia. I didn't used to get a homophobia on Twitter yeah. that exploded over the last few years. Quite interesting. But I mean, isn't that just, uh, again, a devil's, you know, like, well, isn't that just impossible to manage? It's just so big, Twitter. Oh. And- no. So, you know,
0: here's the truth of it, is that social companies, especially because they sort of, um, they want you to believe that it's hard to manage. And the best example we've got is in Germany. In Germany, it's illegal to post anything in support of Nazis. It's a, it's illegal to post Nazi imagery or, or anything in favour of it. If you do, if you or I were to create an account now, little vpn set it up and post it'd be removed in about three minutes and uh so what happens is they they create this notion why because it's protective of their investment they create this notion that no one can police this the only way we can control this is just to shrug and say it comes with the territory yeah. but what you find is in countries where it's actually regulated you can control it you can improve it now i would say firstly you know i had uh, an issue with uh, a very uh Prominent Jewish person when I was there. And he he said to me, he said to me, I'm getting so much abuse. And uh, I said, right, report it. And he said, every time I report it, and it's someone tweeting him saying, You Jewish C-word, right? Okay. He'd report it, and uh the Twitter uh safety team would come back and say no violation, which was our rule for we're not gonna take it down. Now I would used to say to the people internally, surely. We could be a platform where you can't call a stranger a swear word, right? Okay. There's a really simple thing. You can't call a stranger a swear word. Now, a lot of people, the interesting thing about that is that a lot of people, it's a bit like in gaming communities. So people who play online games, Um, the a lot of homophobia in that. But, um, but what you find in that is that people use these sort of casual insults, and it's only when you say to them by the way, you've just committed an act of trolling, so you're now on a 24-hour ban. Mm-hmm. And they're astonished. They didn't think that they were the problem. They thought everyone else is the problem. That was just banter. And so what you can do very quickly is you could say, okay, we're going to introduce stronger rules, even if you're sending a swear word to Boris Johnson, even if you believe you're in your right to tell Marc Francois exactly what you think of him. Actually, if you send a swear word to a someone you don't know, you're going to get a 24-hour timeout. Right, very quickly, you think people learn, ah, I can't do that. I need to be more nuanced in my articulation of my opinions. And very quickly, it can be controlled. So two things. Firstly, with, with regard to the lessons from Germany, um, you can ha- actually have much better regulation. The truth is this. Um, and we're just about a couple of weeks, a week and a half from the World Cup. And, you know, during the last big... Football tournaments, we've had repeated episodes on not just on Twitter, on Instagram as well, of professional footballers receiving racist abuse. Why? Because you only need one half wit full of lager to send a tweet and it's a news story. And often, you know, maybe the players themselves don't always see it, and sometimes they do see it. But you know, you only need it's it comes with the territory. You've created this phone line that connects mm. a lunatic with a celebrity. You know, yeah. to some extent it comes with the territory. But um, you know, if people knew that during the moderation for that, there'll be during World Cup games, there'll be two or three people working in Buda- Budapest because um, it's all offshore, it's all it's all remote, uh, it's it's all. Um, Uh, contract work if you knew that there were two or three people in budapest who were checking your tweets and they're kind of not given much incentive to take action because if they suspend someone and that person appeals it uh then and when it comes to appeal their manager will say you made a mistake there whereas if they don't suspend someone there's no one who's going to appeal it and so it never gets looked at again so two people in budapest are going to be reviewing all these tweets you know we shouldn't be surprised if someone something ends up on the front of the Sun and the Daily Mail because you've just got an inadequate resource. So it can be done, but just social media companies need to be forced to do it with su- sufficient resource. Really,
2: you mentioned Elon Musk's chat to the team. So Elon Musk said this was um, Mike Isaac tweeted this. He was just previously on. Uh, he was asked, "How are you going to deal with the expected attrition, align everyone on a shared vision?" And he said, "I don't know. We all need to be more hardcore." Oh my. He's a nightmare. The guy's a nightmare. He's a nightmare. Um, But um, again, I'll do devil's advocate. Twitter wasn't profitable. Changes had to be made. And he might be being a bit blunt about them, but maybe there's no option to some of the things he's done.
0: So Twitter was two years ago. Twitter was a 30 percent margin business. And this idea like any, almost every business in the country would say, OK, that's a great business. This idea that um, we witnessed it a bit when Instagram was in the midst of debating, turning into TikTok and Adam Masseri, the uh, the boss of Instagram, said we need to do this to grow. A billion people use Instagram. How, how big do you want it, Adam? Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. this idea that businesses and technology businesses have got a right to infinite growth or the right to be vast and colossal and consume so much more of our attention is an illusion. And it's an illusion of venture capitalists' um, investment. You know, the idea that you that any business has the right to be bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and get more attention. We need, you know, unless you've got a billion users, you're not successful. It's a total illusion. Now, Twitter could exist as a far more sustainable, it was a 30% margin business. It could focus on getting the right things right as mike said twitter ads are terrible you know compared to sometimes the ads you see on instagram where you go actually i can't fancy that uh, or the ads you see on youtube the ads you see on twitter you never want to buy those things and so the ads are terrible there's there is a way to make it a much more um, su- sustainable and profitable business but it was just run through this notion of Silicon Valley, where, you know, unless you're growing at 30% a year, unless you're growing at 50% a year, somehow you've got no value to you. And and it's a total illusion. It's a, it's an illusion of venture capitalist um, uh, investment. The, you know, the idea that nothing's got any value, that Instagram, Instagram reaching a billion people, you know,
2: has no value because it's not growing. It's just bananas, actually. How do you see this playing out? I mean, do you think Elon Musk's, might get bored might see the own the damage to in the knock-on damage to tesla's reputation for example i mean there was a brilliant piece i forgot what it's called it was like welcome to hell i think elon uh which went into just the challenges he would face the realities he would face and that was including dealing with the indian government the chinese government and you know china being a massive market for tesla you know and as you said a huge amount of his fortune has been wiped out he's he's you know, I mean, it, what do you think? Do you think, do you think the problem? I guess I'm doing a meandering question here. Will this end with Twitter going down with Elon, or do you think it's possible that it could survive Elon? And maybe like the UK with Tross? we're still here, aren't we?
0: Well, you know, inter- interesting metaphor. And obviously, as you said to Mike, you know, it's got sort of strong... Uh, Elon Musk at Twitter has got l- strong Liz Truss on a Hen Weekend energy to it. You know, we're sort of... We're waiting for something to to pay off. And to some extent, you, you start looking there going, so when's the Jeremy Hunt moment? When's like we're just going to bring in a boring adult. And you could you could see a res- resolution of that. He basically says the revenue performance is looking so bad next year. The way that American advertising works is that this time of year, all the advertising, loads of advertising is sewn up for the next year. So the fact he's sort of run this pantomime in this time of year means you can project outwards. He's, he's sort of caused himself collateral damage into 2023. Um, so you could easily say, let's just pick a Silicon Valley veteran. We're going to get someone to come in who's not going to do this goofing around. Elon Musk will go back to being sort of tweeter number one. And the, the, the only reason I would I'd be cautious about that is clearly he's got the funds not to do it. I would I would even suggest the fact that he, <laughs> he sold more Tesla shares in the last week, even though he committed that he wasn't going to do that, um, suggest that maybe he's having to buy out some of the outside investors he's got there, or there seems to be more going on. The only thing I would say is that he, he's got strong uh, Lewis Hamilton vibes to him in the sense that he doesn't look like he's got anyone around him who ever says to him, This is a bad idea. Mm. You know, so he, lo- he looks like he's surrounded with people who laugh at him all the time yeah. and laugh at yeah. his jokes. He walks in carrying that sink. You know, I, I don't know if um, anyone recalls seeing this, but he walked in carrying a sink to an office where he's about to fire half of yeah. the workforce. It's so tin-eared. And you just wonder if there was something in someone in his inner circle who was able to say uncomfortable things to him, then possibly he could get in a chief exec and say, look, you know, pretend all this didn't happen. We're going to get on with, um, we're trying to do this in a more mature way Right now, um, it looks like we're going to have something of a sort of slow, painful meandering. And and mm. I, I can't guess where it's going to go. You know, I, I, I don't think the answer is all of us finding which Mastodon, Mastodon server we all want to be on. Not but right. I think there is scope for a social product that makes things easy to try and steal some, uh, some heat from Twitter for sure.
2: I think you're right. He's surrounded by basically Richard the Hamster Hammonds. People are just like, <laughs> "Yeah, well, oh, you're so great. I mean, that's the problem with lots of multi-billionaires is they already feel because they, they have a self-perception that they accumulate all that wealth through their own means rather than actually a combination of often privileged backgrounds like Elon Musk has a very privileged background, uh, like public sector research. The internet is a creation of the public sector. People often don't realize. So is the algorithm for that matter, um, as well as luck timing all sorts of things they think and then they're surrounded by yes men who tell them how brilliant they are and how their their decisions are expressions of genius just finally um on that on that depressing thought so basically it looks i think your your view just before i just finish on your book i think is twitter is probably not going to survive that's basically i think where you're at <sighs>
0: I think it probably will, in the same way that MySpace is still there. you know, yeah, it'll, it'll yeah. sort of like chug along. Oh, I, I, here's the critical thing. A lot of us spend a lot of our time scrolling through Twitter. And here's the thing about Twitter. We often talk about social media as sort of giving us a dopamine here. for for ninety nine percent of there used to be a time. Um, verified users on Twitter never used to see ads. Why? Because they were regarded as so important for creating the content that Mm -hmm. the amount of money you could earn by showing Britney Spears adverts wasn't worth worrying about. But um, so, so, you know, the, the fact that first and foremost, Elon Musk is really damaging the reputation with the people who make the good stuff is, is worrying. But, um, Right now, I, I don't see another product coming along and stealing, creating that network effect. You know, a lot of us created social media accounts yeah. and you know, for good or for bad, we we sort of still got them. Twitter works on the basis, it's quite gossipy actually. You know, for most people the pop of dopamine on Twitter isn't that they got loads of likes on their tweets. For most people it's not. For content creators like yourself, Owen, I mean, you know, slightly different but for most people, they scroll through, they often don't tweet from days at a time, but they love the the revelation they love the discovery they whoa you won't believe what's happened they want to tell three people that you know that that gavin williamson's gone right it's it's that it's the fact that you're in on the inside and to a large extent being on the inside getting the latest is deeply addictive but it's hard to replace instagram doesn't do instagram's as you say, it's a happy place. It makes you smile. It's, oh, it's like you follow aesthetic stuff that you wouldn't follow elsewhere. But um, Twitter's got that gossipy sort of ability to put you in the know, especially with in something that is really of your passion. It might be, you know, you're obsessed with tennis, you're obsessed with pop music. And so as a result of that, none of your mates share that interest, but you are right on the inside now yeah. hearing all of the, the gossip it. And so until something replaces that, I think Twitter will... Keep going in in some form, but um, th- truly there there is clearly the scope for something well resourced. I think is the critical thing. Something well resourced to come along and to steal a march and 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 to to some extent replace it. You know, for most for most young people, clearly it doesn't need anything replacing. Tiktoks replaced it, but you know, for for people who want to consume. Um, tweets you know written content it's it's going to be hard to replace so i would say it's going to be sort of a slow slow and stinky death actually
2: bleak um just finally on a non-bleak topic your brilliant new book which is a sunday times bestseller fortitude unlocking the secrets of inner strength so i don't know i'm unable to read um just give us a bam what is this great book Here's, here's what it is. None of us believe
0: that psychology is in any way politicised, but it is. And all the psychology that reaches us comes from the US and um, the... You know, anyone who finds himself exposed to workplaces now, these, everyone's talking about so much burnout, we need resilience courses. Uh, schools, there's so much exhaustion amongst kids, we need resilience courses. It's like this word that's become ubiquitous. And what you find is that the truth about resilience is that it's inconvenient to the Reaganite era of psychology that's tried to say that it's this individualistic thing that we all need responsibility for, for doing. In fact, resilience pure and simple is the strength we draw from each other. It's so the reason why the people in Ukraine are so strong is not because vladimir putin invaded the the strongest nation in the world but because we draw strength from the people around us it's a collectivist thing now of course that's deeply un- inconvenient to the people who peddle this individualist idea of economics then and they try and sort of get it into their psychology but if we understood if we understood that you know teenagers who who have a family meal during the pandemic their resilience went up um if we recognise it, we, all the examples we have about resilience, people in the Second World War who are being bombed, it's all about this shared identity, this collective identity. It's deeply inconvenient to some of the politicians who are yeah. trying to tell us that we need to be more resilient. But the reason why this, the angle they're pitching doesn't work is because it's, it's individualistic and it's based on a premise that just isn't true. So it's about how uh, resilience is the strength we draw from each other.
2: Absolutely fascinating stuff. Well, I'm looking forward to read it and I hope everyone gets their own copy. So just again, that's Fortitude, Unlocking the Secrets of Inner Strength by Bruce Daisley. You can follow Bruce Daisley on Twitter so long as it exists. Bruce Daisley is spelled D-A-I-S-L-E-Y. Bruce, it's been such a pleasure, honestly. Really, really fascinating, thoughtful and depressing. It's not not been that cheery, any of this. But unfortunately, the world in which we live is often... What can you do? That's what the material we've got to work with. Um, (laughs) But cheers. Good luck with the book as well. Uh, Not that you need luck because it's a Sunday Times bestseller. And um, yeah, take care. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Great. Well, I've learned a huge amount. Um, Depressed by much of it. Um, Again, I do think it's, again, bleak, isn't it? When you get, you know, these billionaire spoiled brats taking huge chunks of our social and democratic infrastructure and they're just ruining them. It is a bit bleak. In terms of Mastodon, have I even said it right is it? it is Mastodon. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I was going to have a little, just not a little chat, but I mean, I have joined uh, Mastodon. In fact, you can see, uh, here we go. Oh, I am. If you want to follow me on uh, Mastodon, I have just set up an account, which is Owen Peter Jones at toddon.eu. Now, the reason I've gone from, that's my middle name, Peter, is... Um, I made, I think, an error in my uh, <laughs> early 20s. When did I join Twitter? I think I joined Twitter when I was like 25. Um, because at the time, my birthday, people were like, oh, God, he's terribly young, isn't he? I'm 38. No one's saying that anymore. Quite the reverse. In fact, I've gone through this kind of quite funny process where people for ages were like, well, he's far too young to know what he's talking about, to, oh, getting quite old now, aren't you, Rowan? But I didn't have a middle bit; <laughs> just jump from one to the other. It's irritating. Anyway, I'm not. I'm not making a mistake of putting my birthday and my username again. I would have hoped I could have changed it on Twitter as well, but I. Don't, I don't think they're going to be able to appeal to the Twitter authorities. I don't think they've even got a department to change name anymore. Who even knows? Anyway, it's at Owen Peter Jones at Todon T O D O N dot E U. Um. Although I spoke to them and they were like, "Not sure our servers gonna survive all of this." Oh well, well we'll see what happens there. I've not quite understood it yet. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I'm, go- I'm it's, the, the interface is a bit, um, but I'm I'm gonna give it a go and see how it see how it goes. I don't know if anybody else is having fun with it. And um, um, people saying look like a teenager. I mean, I'm just I'm just gonna take that just because I am 38. Um. But there we are. Um, yeah. So I'll give mustard a look. I just don't think it's not going to replace. I'm just going to be brutally honest. It will not be replacing Twitter. That's not going to happen. Um, and I think Brees' point there is interesting. Could something else spring up? It is. You know, there is a generational divide on social media. I find it fascinating how Facebook, I remember joining Facebook in 2005 when it was only specific universities you could join. And it was obviously associated with, students, university students. Uh, And now it's associated with Boomers, isn't it? Let's be honest with you. It's Boomerville. Um, I mean, not exclusively. I use Facebook um, um, a lot. It's a very important part of my uh, platform, I would say. Um, But um, it is used by predominantly older people. I think Instagram now is increasingly, I think it's, I think particularly big with Younger millennials and older zoomers, am I getting this right? I sound ridiculous. TikTok is obviously just like dope, so hegemonic amongst younger people now, and where they get news and all the rest of it, as Bruce says. I just don't know. Mastodon, I don't know, is it gonna? I don't know, guys, I mean, it's worth it's worth you know, it's, it's nothing lost. I think in my head, I was a bit like probably could do with using Twitter less just for my own mental well being and life. So, is it? is it the end of the world. David Barata, a really important, interesting point about Reddit. What about Reddit? I've not used it because of the bad press. I often read through Reddit and it, it's interesting actually because you do get quite very interesting discussions. Um, I mean, obviously you get the same problems of like you know, Nazi shit <laughs> um, as well as people being abusive or whatever. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, the problem is, um, you know, you end up with pieces piece of technology being run by venture capitalists and all the rest of it um who don't necessarily have your well-being um in mind partly because you know they are trying to find use your brain basically to get you hooked on their apps and all the rest of it um yeah i mean you know there's how healthy is social media and various platforms in our lives and in society is obviously a very long on-running debate I do think it'll be tragic if Twitter goes under and there isn't a viable proper replacement because it has become an important part of our democracy because what it does is it um, platforms' voices that are underrepresented, particularly in the national media, which is very skewed towards people often from privately educated backgrounds, people who are men, white, obviously. Um, you know, you get suddenly on, on Twitter, there are people with significant voices, at least on that medium, who are people of colour, uh, people who are trans, very important in the anti-trans moral panic we're living in. I mean, don't get me wrong, they have a terrible time often on the platform. Um, particularly trans people. I mean, not particularly, I don't want to start doing a hierarchy there, but it's just the level of transphobia trans people get is just gruesome, let's be honest with you. But you do you, you do, you know, it gives so it, it does that. It it provides a platform for alternative perspectives that particularly in dissenting perspectives that, that are often marginalized. Um, It provides, you know, a wealth of information that otherwise is not easily accessible, often in real time. I mean, again, that has downsides because you can get misinformation spreading about events on the ground. That's true. And, you know, you get rumours which become reality. You know, but it also has played a very important role in movements for social justice, not least in government, you know, in in countries with regimes that are very oppressive and dictatorial. And, you know, in, in Britain, I remember UK and COP, um, which was an anti-tax avoidance movement back in uh, 2010, using um, Twitter. So did the student occupations. I mean, I took part as a PhD student. I abandoned my PhD at UCL in 2010, and you got this national student uprising, and you got about 80 universities occupied by their students. And Twitter was very, very important there. So it became very important in you know movements across the world um, against oppressive regimes, movements for social justice, workers' rights. You know. Lots of, you know, we can see, um, you know, particularly the wave of strikes in Britain at the moment, how it's being used to disseminate information and try and get a counterbalanced or hostile media. It does play an important role. You can see why a lot of people, frankly, who are, you know, quite oppressive or exploitative would be happy to see Twitter gone. Um, And, you know, again, you know, when... Another element, I think, is when the mainstream media themselves, because we get this moral panic about misinformation in social media, which is a valid point, but you also get misinformation in the mainstream media. I mean, a striking example would be the way the Hillsborough fans were demonised, of course, by the sun. But, you know, migrants, refugees, trans people... historically gay and bisexual people of course vilified and attacked by the media now there's a way of counteracting that and 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 when you know outright propaganda on behalf of the government is published on the front page of the mail and the sun then people can take it on confront it take it to pieces it does play an important role in democracy i think it has it has evolved into that position anyway I think it's interesting discussion uh, to, to be had. And I'm glad we had such informed guests to talk us through it. Uh, I just wanna thank Tad Cantwell, Ted um, David Barratt, FSM is the dog who I owe a huge apology because I forgot two weeks ago to thank you. So I'm thanking you very, very profusely this time round. Um, but thank you everybody for watching and thanks to our guests. Um, as you can see, if you're, if you're subscribed to our YouTube channel, obviously subscribe now and um, we're doing videos pretty much every day at the moment and we're going to continue to do so obviously the podcast as well mm-hmm. um, and and on Facebook uh, so if you know you can or Instagram I'm putting most of the videos up on Instagram and um, so you can follow uh, listen to this whatever is is best for you so please do so support us that's a bit obviously a sprawling media empire there supported by you on patreon.com forward slash Owen Jones 84. If you want to keep the show on the road Um, and yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, we'll put the video up tomorrow. We'll be back with the live show next week and we'll be doing some more interesting interviews as well. Are the cats around Rachel Atwood says Rachel, to be honest with you, um, I did once make, I think the slight error of allowing the cats to stay in here with me while I did this show and they disconnected the camera and kind of wrecked the show um so i'm afraid what i do is i get some dreamies um in the kitchen at every time every time they know what i'm gonna do but they're like oh but i love dreaming so much um and then i lock them in so i'm gonna go and lock let them out now so they can run around um and they'll be slightly angry with me when i come into the kitchen um okay so i'm gonna go and do that all right everyone thank you for uh, joining um lots of love and i will see you all very very soon